Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello, I'm Dessa, and this is Deeply Human, Why You Do the Things You Do. So let me ask you a question. Have you been on any of these uh, online dating sites? Yes. And have you been on one of those that you have to enter your age and weight? Yes. And how how honest were you? <laughs> uh, I would say I would say you're right. Mostly, I probably <laughs> I probably shaved off three pounds on that day. Yeah, and and you probably said, you know, I I used to be three yes. pounds less like just a few months ago. <laughs> That's exactly and it. It just so happened that now when I'm filling it up is after the holidays. So you're in my head, Dan. You're in my head. <laughs> That's Dan Ariely, a professor of psychology and behavioral economics at Duke University in North Carolina, calling me out in a lie. High-stakes lies have all sorts of consequences. Perjurers are imprisoned. Slanderers are sued. In the 1800s, liars and gossips in Scotland could be punished by being forced to wear a scold's bridle, a metal cage worn over the head with a painful bit to stop the tongue from moving. But little lies, they sometimes feel almost obligatory. Like, if your coworker Andy asks, Do you like my haircut? And you say, Yes, it adds a new shortness to the ends of it. <laughs> and lying to children can be a joyful community activity. Good news, little Maxie, there's someone who'd like to buy your old teeth. She's nocturnal, she can fly but she deals exclusively with unconscious clientele, so you will just have to trust that you are receiving market rate. Lie detector tests, child psychology, moral vigilance, bad haircuts. We're here to explore why lying is a developmental milestone for toddlers, but maybe a slippery slope for you. Honesty is a really good thing, and most people acknowledge it, and they want to be honest. But in the day-to-day basis, we have lots of other motivation that play out as well. So uh, motivation to be honest is one of them. Motivation to gain money is another one. Motivation to have our political party be successful. Motivation to decrease global warming. Uh, motivation to whatever, whatever. I mean, there's lots of them. Dan is the author of a book called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty, How We Lie to Everyone, Especially Ourselves. Most of us want to be honest, but we also want to find love. 
we want financial security, we want the best for our kids, and not all of these desires are compatible all of the time. The team here at Deeply Human solicited some lies from friends and colleagues and strangers on the internet, and here's one that I found very clever. So my senior year of college, I had a truly all-consuming crush on the teaching assistant for the photography seminar that I was taking. And near the end of the year, I was applying for jobs. I got a bunch of professors to write me letters of recommendation. And once I had them all, I was like, you know, this is a really easy way to get people to give me a bunch of compliments. So I told the TA that I needed an additional letter of recommendation from him, even though I did not. Our liar, Allison, found a way to extract two full written pages of compliments from her crush. If you could somehow force a letter of rec out of someone in your life now in the same circumstances, who would it be? Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Curtis Sittenfeld. Maybe me too. She's the best. God, she's she's so smart. How did she get so smart in just one life? I have absolutely no idea. But every time I read one of her books, I'm just like... Every sentence is perfect. How? Listener, if you're unfamiliar, Curtis Sittenfeld is the name of a best-selling fiction writer. Highly recommend her short stories. All right, back to Dan Ariely, our lying expert, on how we conceptualize dishonesty. So in general, when we think about dishonesty, we think about people as being either good or bad. We tend to consider honesty as a character trait, a fixed feature. Like, I am good at languages and bad at directions. I prefer cheap milk chocolate to the fancy dark stuff, and I am honest. But this kind of thinking can cause problems. Because if we consider our honesty as intrinsic and constant, then it's like a tattoo. It's permanently part of who we are. And with that attitude, we might get lax in policing our actual behavior. And we're really good at preserving the idea of ourselves as honest people, even while we're telling a lie. Imagine that you're late for uh, meeting some friends, right? You could say, oh, you know, I I left too late or I didn't check my watch or something like that. Or you could say the subway was too busy. You have a motivation to lie. And what our amazing brain can do is to allow us to rationalize things that are not exactly perfect. So you can go to your friends and say, oh, yes, you know, the traffic was terrible. Now, the traffic is not really the traffic that is terrible, but the traffic was not great. So you basically add this up. And in your mind, the moment you finish telling this lie, you're not a liar. You just slightly exaggerate it. As we tell more and more lies of a certain type, we get more and more used to it. And by the end, our brains stop reacting. Dan and several colleagues put research subjects into an fMRI machine to watch their brain activity when they behaved dishonestly. And they found that usually, when someone first lied for personal gain, they felt bad about it. And there was this big bloom of activity in the amygdala, a region of the brain associated with fear and emotion. But as people continued to lie, that brain activity declined. And this may be evidence that lying is a slippery slope where telling little lies can desensitize us and make it easier to tell bigger ones in the future. But the news from Dan's research isn't all bad. He also found ways to promote honest behavior by priming people with cues that put morality at top of mind. We ask people to do things like try to recall the Ten Commandments or write down an honor code, and we saw that those things increased honesty. This might have implications for how our important documents are designed, 
a small change in the layout of our forms might get us to fill them out more honestly. Will you tell me about where the signature line should be on a form? So the signature line should be in the beginning of the form. Why? Okay. So think about what, what do we usually do when we write the form? We write, and you fill it up, and then at the end I say, please sign. You know, the lying has been done already. It's over. You did it, you rationalized it, you forgot about it. Instead, what priming tells us is that we should start by getting people to be at a higher level of thinking about their morality, right? So what, what we want is to get people to be aware of their own honesty. So we want people to do it first. At this point, if you're feeling pangs of guilt about having been dishonest in the past, well, it's another thing you might be able to blame on mom or dad. We teach our kids to be dishonest in the social politeness world. It's the first time that you tell a kid, don't always tell the truth. For example, you don't want to offend somebody else's feeling. You don't like this kid, don't tell it to them. Other things are more important. So I'm wondering whether this is kind of the beginning of the way that we teach kids this very, very delicate calculus about how much to care about the truth, how much to care about themselves, and how much to care about other people, and how to make this very delicate trade-off. You don't want your kid at the mall announcing who's old and who's smelly in a fit of unchecked honesty. On the other hand... A lot of parents actually talk to us about how they are so worried that kids are lying at such a young age and they're worried they're going to turn into some kind of psychopath when they grow up. My name is Kang Li. I'm a professor at the University of Toronto. I've been studying how children learn to tell lies for the last 25 years. Kang himself was not a master of deception as a boy. I was a terrible liar as a child, so my sister always could figure out when I lied. And she always say, you know, when you lie, your eyes turn red. So I don't know if that was true or not, but I thought that's how she caught me. In a lab outfitted with hidden cameras, Kang and his team tried to discover why some kids start lying earlier than others. We wanted to find out, you know, who are these two-year-olds who already lie at this tender age, you know, but the majority of them actually were very honest. So then we measured their IQ. There's no difference between those kids who lied and those kids who did not lie. And then we look at their you know, moral and standing of lying, you know, there's no difference. So, and then we thought maybe just gender, you know, maybe boys are more likely to lie than girls or vice versa. And it turned out that there's no difference between boys and girls. So then we looked closely at two very important cognitive skills. Tiny kids don't fully grasp that other people are having their own unique subjective experiences. They just presume that you know their grandma, that you're also caught up on the most recent episodes of Paw Patrol, that you too might enjoy a bite of room temperature pureed pumpkin. But to lie, they've got to develop what's called theory of mind, They have to realize that each of us has different motives and thoughts and perceptions. They have to understand that the thoughts in their heads aren't the thoughts in mom's or yours or mine. They've also got to develop executive function. That allows them to strategize and inhibit any impulse to just blurt out the truth. Both theory of mind and executive function take time to develop. We know that kids begin to tell lies around two and a half years of age. But at that time... Only about 25 to 30% of the two-and-a-half-year-olds would lie. 
But when the child reaches uh, three years of age, about 50% of kids will lie. By the time the kids reach four years of age, about 80% of kids will lie. And by seven years of age, almost 100% of kids would lie. Basically, the story is almost all kids lie at some point in their life. And then seem to be this kind of very universal developmental trajectory. And turn out these young two-year-olds who lied have much better executive functioning abilities than those kids who are honest. So it's almost like there's a precociousness Exactly. That's indicated by lying early. It's yes. not like these two-year-olds are all smoking cigarettes behind the schoolyard in little leather jackets. Like, they're developing theory of mind early. Yeah, exactly. So am I correct in thinking you're a father? Yeah. So when I hang around my friends who have young kids, it's easy for them to to brag a little bit about, like, my kid's recognizing shapes and letters and she's only mm-hmm. nine months old and my kid is walking and my kid is reading and we're beating all the milestones. Were you, like, hoping that your kid was going to lie really early? So because I have a lab for testing kids' lying, when Nathan turns, uh, his, that's his name, so when he turned three, exactly on his third year birthday, I brought him to my lab and uh, had my students testing him and I watched with anxiety. You know, I thought, is he going to be honest or is he going to tell a lie? And he lied. Yes. So I was very happy. So, so he figured out, you know, the theory of mine and figured out the executive functioning at three years of age. Exactly. I have a video recording of that. So You throw a hell of a birthday party. <laughs> Indeed. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When my son was little, I told him that when the ice cream van drove down our street playing its music, that meant it had run out of ice cream. Mealtimes are a classic setting for parental lies. No, that is clearly not an airplane. That is a rubberized spoon, Dad, if that is your real name. I lie to my daughter all day long. <laughs> okay, how old's your daughter? Uh, two and a half. And like, what are the kind of lies that you're telling your daughter? Oh, this tastes great. Yeah, you should definitely <laughs> have some vegetables. Ooh. The woman gleefully deceiving her daughter is Sophie van der Zee of the Erasmus School of Economics in the Netherlands. She runs experiments to study how we lie to one another. I remember my mom lying to me when I was given a jump rope as a present as a little girl. 
She was worried that her muscular, not very coordinated daughter was going to spin herself upside down and knock her teeth out with it. And so she lied to me and told me that the way to use the toy was to lay it gently on the ground and then jump all around it. And so when my dad came home, he found me playing with my jump rope as one would stamp out a fire. But I could never tell when my mom was lying. And if she still lies, then I still can't. Well, we're basically terrible at lie detection and we're quite good at lying. And that's quite problematic. Experiments suggest that humans suck at spotting lies, like genuinely suck. When research participants were asked to identify the liars among a group of people, half of whom were telling the truth and half of whom were lying, they were right only 54% of the time, which is an abysmal success rate. It's just barely better than chance. And as for all that stuff on forensic TV shows, forget about it. One of the first comments you usually get is that liars look away. Something you often hear is that they look to the top left corner, they behave a bit sort of shiftily. But those are not actually cues to deceit, uh, as we know from research and from meta-analyses. But that does mean that because people think it's a cue, one of the cues that we did find is that looking someone like really in the eye, like a sort of uncomfortable eye contact, can be a cue to deceit. <laughs> so that makes it really complicated. <laughs> and one of the other problems is, is that lying is actually something you get better at with practice. So the more you lie, the emotional responses to lying become less and less severe. When I was five or six, um, my uncle took me aside and he had a chalkboard and he did all these drawings of all the trees that we could see around where he lived. And he said, have you ever seen the trees at night? And I said, well, well no, because I'm, I'm asleep. And he said, well, you know what happens to trees at night? And I said, no. And he said, well, they turn upside down. <laughs> and, and they're actually rockets. And they fly into space. And then they come back before the morning and get implanted. And that's what trees do. Polygraph machines, the favorite lie detection devices of TV dramas, are legitimately better than humans at spotting deceit. But they're not perfectly reliable either. A polygraph doesn't directly test the truthfulness of a statement. It measures our physical arousal through blood pressure and breathing patterns and perspiration. The idea is that lying usually stresses us out, and we can measure stress. But sometimes, of course, we can be stressed out for other reasons as well, so it's not a perfect indicator. And polygraph examination involves some interpretation. Two different examiners, given the exact same polygraph output, might come back with conflicting results. As a kid, I designed my own lie detector test to be used exclusively on my little brother, Max. I drew a series of buttons and dials onto an index card, added a bright red circle where the suspected liar was to place his thumb. And my tiny, brown-eyed brother dutifully submitted, pressing his thumb on the circle, at which point I whisked the index card into my room, shut the door, and turned on my lie detector machine, which ran with a horrible roar. In truth... I was really running the vacuum cleaner. Listener, I cannot tell you how guilty I am in recalling this story. Maxie, I am so sorry. Next time we hang out, I am buying every round. As Professor Kang Lee pointed out, children's first lies should be celebrated as a milestone, not interrogated with the Hoover. But by the time you grow up, you might lie more than you realize. 
in an experimental setting where people had to talk for 10 minutes to someone they didn't know in a waiting room that was secretly recorded that people already lied twice on average in uh, this 10-minute conversation with a stranger. So we all lie much more than we think we do. So there was an experimental design that put people in a room with a stranger for 10 minutes. And even in the course of that 10-minute conversation, they clocked two lies. Yep. On average, yeah. And what's interesting is they didn't have to impress. They were just in the waiting room waiting to take part in an experiment, not realizing that was already the experiment, that they were secretly being filmed. So to your point, you're saying there's nothing to be gained, right? Like this isn't your boss. This isn't your mom. This isn't your lover. There's no real social stakes here. And we still do There's no benefit and we still lie. Remember Allison, the liar that we met at the very beginning of this episode, the one who got the letter of rec from her crush? We dragged her back into the studio to present a little gift for serving as the liar laureate of this episode of Deeply Human. Okay, well, thanks so much, Allison, for coming in again. No problem. Why am I back? <laughs> Actually, I had just wanted to play you some audio. Oh. All right. <laughs> to whomsoever it may concern... I hereby commend Allison Cherry on the sly design and flawless execution of her elegant con. May her work serve as an inspiration for future generations of scheming, lovesick co-eds. Sincerely, Curtis Sittenfeld. (laughs) Are you kidding me? (laughs) <laughs> what? How did she make that happen? I wish you could see my face right now. <laughs> um, thank you so much for that. Curtis Sittenfeld. In addition to being a best-selling fiction writer, you are a total boss, and next time we meet, I am buying every round. Allison, for her part, has zero regrets about lying to obtain her letter from her crush-worthy TA, and she rereads it every few years. Kong, our expert on children's lies thinks that lying can actually be an important part of a happy life. The fact that the lies exist in our society is because sometimes they serve as a lubricant hmm. of social interaction and makes our lives better. But you, you know, put yourself in this situation there. In a, you know, just think about this. If you are 100% honest all the time, all minute, think about what kind of person you're going to be. Just try it for one day. I can guarantee you, you're going to be friendless, uh, <laughs> spouseless, and then maybe jobless. You know, you just mm. nobody will like you if you're always very, very honest. You know, you mentioned that you were a lousy liar when you were a kid. Are you yes. any better now? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> you know what's yeah. funny is I don't know if I should believe you or not. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. Embarrassingly, I'm pretty sure that I lied during the course of this podcast. Remember when Dan Ariely, the Duke professor, asked me about dating sites and I admitted to shaving off a few pounds? After we spoke, I thought to myself, wait, which dating site asks for an exact weight? I mean, I know I've fibbed on that stuff before, but I think it was like on my driver's license. I just, I didn't want to interrupt the flow of the conversation and I didn't stop to really make sure I had my facts straight. And just like that, I'm sucked up in this meta-vortex, lying to a lying expert about lying. It's not all intentional. It's not all perfectly calculated. The temptations to be dishonest, right? They just show up all the time. And that means we need to be very careful. That asks for vigilance, yeah? Tremendous vigilance. Dan, 
I'm sorry about the fib. If we ever meet in person, I'm buying every round. Man, this is becoming like the most expensive podcast ever. Learning about Dan's research on how little transgressions can pave the way for bigger ones, it's changed the way I behave just a little bit. I'm more likely to pause during an anecdote to get the names right, even if it dampens the comic timing. And when declining an invitation to hang out, I'm trying to lean less on the old excuse of having work to do, which is always sort of true, but rarely the whole story. And if you'd like to lie less, it might be that honest answers about the daily, unimportant stuff can serve as cross-training for the muscles that we need to answer the hard questions truthfully. If lying is a slippery slope, we can at least wear cleats. So, to coworker Andy, I don't love the haircut, but you are awesome and I like you no matter what is on or near your head. To the Minnesota Department of Motor Vehicles, on last weigh-in, I was 146 and a half pounds. To my mom, oh, you totally made the right call about the jump rope. I would have knocked my theory of mind right out the back of my little head. On the next Deeply Human, we'll ask why do humans have sex at times that our fellow mammals don't? So for most female mammals, it's two or three days out of a cycle that they have sex. And otherwise, they're not willing to have sex with males that initiate it. And they're really not that attractive to males either. Hmm. Males seem to know. Deeply Human is a BBC World Service and American Public Media co-production with iHeartMedia, and it's hosted by me, Dessa.